Hey everybody, it's Tim. Welcome or welcome back to the LOH Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and our YouTube channel where you can access all of our message content. Most importantly, I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. We are starting a new series today. Um, this is volume three of Ephesians. We've, I've done two already, volume one. Uh, well, let me tell you, this one is, this, this is volume three. It's going to be titled Rags to Riches. Um, and this is message one, C and be rich. Um, volume one was called Real Church. And uh, if you're new uh, and you'd like to catch up, uh, we have these series uh, on uh, YouTube. You can go back and watch them. Also podcast on Spotify. I think also iTunes. You can go back. Volume one was called Real Church. And we talked about that real ministry is for all believers and not just for special people. Um, that the call of God is on all of our lives. But the way that call is walked out is based on our unique individuality in Christ, the gifts of God in our life, and, and guidance of the Holy Spirit. So everybody's called. Uh, we talked about that. We talked in real church about real maturity is, is, is measurable. You can really know whether you're growing in your faith based on lining yourself up with the metaphors mentioned in Ephesians. The, the metaphors, the images of the church in Ephesians are real. And we talked about them, the body. So you can know if you're maturing as a Christian uh, with your contribution into the body of believers that God's put you, guided you to. You can recognize the level of maturity uh, based on how you're contributing to the building of the house of the Lord, the presence of God, and the enriching of the people of God gathering together. You can measure your maturity in Christ on, on, the, on the metaphor of flock. You're a sheep. A sheep, listen. How's your listening? If you're listening to God's word, you're really listening and acting on it, you know you're maturing. These, these, you can really measure your maturity by lining up with the metaphors. I got a whole series on that. Yeah, bride is another one. If, am, I, am, I love, am I in love with Jesus? Is my love for Jesus greater than it was at the beginning? Is it growing? Am I intimate with God? Am, am I living in holiness or am I worldly? You can lo really look and measure it. You can really measure your maturity by the metaphors. An army, army, am I in the battle? Am I fighting the good fight of faith? Am I protecting the people of God? Am I praying and interceding and, 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 and standing for the truth of God? That was volume one. Volume two was called This Is My Body. And we talked about the character of Jesus being so vitally important in the life of the church, the character of Jesus being so important in the life of us as individuals. But we also said that it takes more than character to change the world. It takes charismata. Charismata is the power, spiritual power of the Holy Spirit ministering to and through the people of God. I want you, every time you gather here today, to not only get something that stimulates your thinking, but changes your life. Changes your life. Which brings us to volume three today of Ephesians, and this series is going to be 
with this idea of rags to riches. And what this is going to be about is you and I as believers um, knowing what God has done for us in Christ, knowing what blessings have already been purchased through the life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ, and to know those benefits so that we can know who we are, who Christ is in us and who we are in Christ, we know our ID. So we're going to talk about that as, week, as these weeks go by. We're going to talk about uh, things from the idea of the riches of God so that our faith can get built up. So that, that, our, that we really believe and our, that our belief is, 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 is on fire. That our, that our faith isn't old and it's not dying, but it, and it's not crusty. It's, it's really growing. And I, I want to preach these messages to encourage deeper levels of unity in our church. Deeper levels of unity uh, and connection and community. And that God would convince you that he wants to press the keys of the kingdom in your hand. And that you, outside of this time in your everyday life, realize that you are carrying the anointing of Jesus Christ in your life. And God wants to do something powerful through your life. We're going to talk about that as weeks go by. So let's go. Today's message is see and be rich. And I'm not talking about driving up National Highway and seeing the marquee in front of the Jolly Rogers liquor store that always reminds us of how much money you don't have. It says Powerball, 350 mil. And I don't know about you, but just being honest, there's been times that I've drove by there and thought, I wonder if somebody would go in there and buy that ticket that would win and like give it to me. That I, that I didn't buy it myself, but someone just kind of gave it to but I never, I never do that. I'm not talking about that kind of rich. I've always heard that people who win the lottery and their life gets worse. Have you heard that? I don't know if that's true. Maybe you're like other people who say, well, I'd like to be the first one to flip that and see if it gets, you know. We're talking about a different kind of rich. We're talking about seeing what God wants us to see and being rich in being what God has already provided for us in Christ. The Bible has a lot to say about seeing. To God's people at different times in their journey with him, he said, you have eyes, but you don't see. And he laments through the prophet Isaiah and he says, who is blind like the one who is at peace with me? Who is blind like my servant? What? So you can be a servant of God and not see what God's trying to show you. Proverbs 20 says that the seeing eye and the hearing ear, both are gifts from the Lord. Meaning that he wants us to not only be able to see with our physical eye and hear with our physical ear but be able to see with our spirit eye and hear with our spirit is remember how many times Jesus said if anyone has ears to hear let him hear and he wasn't talking about these things he's talking about the ability to perceive and hear and recognize God speaking to you 
Jesus said to the disciples on one account, blessed are your eyes for they see, for many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see and they weren't able to. But then right up the road, they're in a boat. He has fed 5,000. He's fed 4,000 with bread and fish and they still don't get it. And he says to them, after this, he says, do you have eyes but you can't see? My hope and prayer in this volume is that God will ignite our spiritual eyes in these, in these ways that we will continue to see our need for Jesus in our life more than our need for anything or anyone else. That we will see it. And that people who have never come to know him in this room or watching or listening, that God will open your eyes to see your need for Jesus, your need for a Savior. You need to be saved. You're going to die someday. And then when you're dead, forever, you're not dead. And there's only two places you can be. Only two. And you don't get to decide an option. It's in your life that you get to decide. And there are people who are blind to their need to be saved. And I pray that through this series, the blinding light of the revelation of your need for Christ will be so powerful that you'll have to wear sunglasses to church. Spirit eyes to see and remember where we came from. I don't ever want to forget where God brought me from. You? I don't ever forget. And eyes to, to remember what I... What I used to be as a believer if I've drifted and gotten cold from what I used to be. The best days of my Christian life shouldn't be in the past. They should be in the present. And in the future. But you have to have eyes to see. I pray that this series will reignite your faith. A faith that's not just something you talk about, but something you walk about. The Apostle Paul sets this course in motion with a prayer at the end of the first chapter of Ephesians. And we're going to read that prayer and then pray that prayer. And I want you to notice what he's saying here. Paul. This starts in the 15th verse. And he has just spent 14 verses revealing what God revealed to him. The blessings that are ours in Christ. That are ours. And look what he says. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers. And here's his prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, look at this, it's so interesting. 
may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened to, to live in three things. One, to know the hope of your calling. Two, to know the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints. Three, to know what is the bound, boundless greatness of his power, now notice this next word, toward us who believe. What's interesting is, Paul has just given a long list of blessings we have positionally, but he says then, and the last one that he culminates all of them, he says, when you believed, God gave you the Holy Spirit. So he is writing this next thing to people who, listen, who, regardless of where denominational, you land your feet. He is saying to people who have the Holy Spirit that he prays for God to continue to give them the Holy Spirit. Because Paul says, what you are positionally may not ever have any impact in your life if you are not living in the enlightening, ongoing, organic relationship with the Holy Spirit who is moving and influencing on a daily basis your life. And so I keep on praying that God will keep on giving you the spirit of wisdom so you can perceive this and grab it and walk it out. And revelation, apocalypsis is the word, so that you have these aha moments of what you already have and you take them and believe. And why? Because that's where you have hope. That's where you have hope in your calling. You move in it. That's where you come to know that you're rich in God and others are as well. And you also know that God is always passionate about bringing power toward you. Yeah. So that's what I'm meaning by C and B, rich. Because Paul said he had to keep praying that. We have to keep praying that. Because you know why? Believing doesn't guarantee seeing. And we also know that seeing doesn't guarantee believing. And Jesus said that the eye, your spiritual eye, is the lamp of your body. Look at your neighbor and say, he's not lucky charming us today. For those who don't think I feed you. The eye is the lamp of your spiritual life. The writer of Proverbs says that the spirit of a person is the candle of the Lord. Which means... The Lord has to light your spirit in order for you to see the kingdom of God. But you can be a servant, a preacher, a good Christian person, 
and God could be looking at you going, who is blind like this person? He has eyes to see, but he doesn't see. You've observed many things, but you don't act on anything. So the Apostle Paul says we have to continue to pray. That although believing isn't seeing and seeing isn't believing, in order to walk out your belief, you have to see. You have to see. God wants us to see what we were outside of Christ again in order to have a new ignition of worship to who we are in Christ. We have to see what it is really like from God's point of view for a person to be outside of the righteousness of God. There are all kinds of righteousnesses in the world, all kinds of ways that people think they're right and they're okay and all that, but none of those things matter The only people that are going to go to heaven are those who have the righteousness of God. Not the righteousness of anything else. It's got to be God's kind. God wants us to see the terrible condition that every person in the world is in outside of the righteousness of God. But then he also wants us to see that Christ has done something about that. And that the Father thinks differently about people who are in the righteousness of God, more gracious than they even might even treat their own life. And he wants us to see all that too. So we're gonna go into that a little bit today, a lot of bit next week, and on we go. There was this young priest prophet named Ezekiel. He was in his early 30s. And God gave him a series of visions and sermons. And in one of those, in the 16th chapter of Ezekiel, he, um, God tells him to tell this to all of Israel. Israel has been uh, brought out of the Red Sea by God himself. He called them his own. He even gave up people for them. Gave them a land of promise, blessed them for 40 years in the wilderness and gave them a land. And what they did instead of following God, they lost vision of God and they began to look at the nations around and began to mix and mingle with the nations. And God does something very, very mean. He tells it like it is. And he describes Israel like they're a prostitute. And he takes them back to the time he found them and he uses these graphic terms. God's about to get canceled, I'm telling you. I think he already is canceled, isn't he? Ezekiel 16, God says about the people of Israel, no eye looked with pity on you to do any of these things for you to have compassion on you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field for you were abhorred on the day you were born. When I passed by you and saw you, look at the imagery. When I passed by you and saw you squirming in your blood, I said to you while you were in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you while you were in your blood, live. 
Now, you know who told them to live? This was their husband that they were cheating on with the nations of the world. This is who he is compared to who they are. I saw you in your blood. And I, instead of, I said, live. The Hebrew word is the word hayah. I thought that was funny because, because some people have an image of God that he sees them down and he just goes, hayah, you know? No, 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 no. This word hayah means live. It's, see, there's a lot of people that think that's the way God is. And it's the opposite. These people have prostituted their blessings with the living God. And they're in their blood. And you would think that God would just go, you know what? But instead, he goes, Haya, live. That's the kind of God he is. But we also need to know this. Apart from his Haya, apart from his righteousness, he also says that our righteousness, whether it's a moral kind, a, a religious kind, or a non-religious kind where you just want to be a good... One of my favorite artists from the 70s, I love her, and she was talking about why she does... She goes, I just try really hard to be a good person. And man, is she a good person. I just love her. And I love her music and all that. And I probably, if I ever saw her, I'd just be like, I bet you're one of the real good ones in the... But, but, but with all that said, our good is not the righteousness of God. Because God says, our righteousness, whatever kind it is, is like a filthy rag. In other words, if you go before God and instead of the blood of Jesus, offer him the best you've got, it's like giving him a filthy rag and expecting him to accept it. We have to see that. But in this passage, you see that his hayah is not a judgmental strike. It's a, it's, a, it's a moving word spoken to bring them up out. And this is what Paul means in Ephesians 1. When Paul is telling us about, he takes us from rags to riches and then describes these riches... He is telling us what God has already done for us in Christ. And God already did this for people that don't know him yet. God already did this for people who are in obstinate disobedience to him. All of us. This is already done. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul defines riches. I want you to see it with me. Paul isn't even into the third verse until he just breaks out into this spirit-inspired revelation of who God is and what Christ has done and what we have as believers. It's beautiful. Here's what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has, past tense, blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. I want you to hang your hat on that right there. 
before the foundation of the world, don't forget that, that we would be holy and blameless before him. I want to give you these words in the Greek. Paul starts out with this word, eulogetos. Eulogetos, ho theos, kai pater, ho kyrios, Jesus Christos. Eulogetos means I am sending to you good words. I am sending good words to God because I have just had an enlightenment of the good things God has done for us. And I must send back good words. Blessed be God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I have just seen what you've done for me by the Holy Spirit's light, and I must send back to you good words. Eulogetos to God. Amen. Who has eulogesos, who has sent blessings to us. You, EU means good. Legos comes from the word logos, meaning the word the, the culmination of the whole message of Jesus and the kingdom and all that it brings. God has spoken these words that have hired us. The word eulogetos and eulogesas. And then he says, hemas and passe, eulogia, pneumatike, and epora neos. You have blessed us with every spiritual blessing, spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places. So positionally, we all are right next to Jesus, right at the Father's throne. With all that he is and all that he offers, already in our life account. So, I look at that and I go, now I understand why I need, I need continual spiritual illumination. Because I have all that right now. And you do too. This, this, these words, these three, these three words of, sorry I was too loud, Bella. <laughs> sorry. I hope she'll watch it on the live. It's, it's important. It's just, I want her to know eulogetos. <laughs> you get it? Paul says, oh, I, I want to tell you uh, about this, this grace that God's given to me. Made known to me the mystery that was hidden for all of time to me. So that I would go out and preach, ready? The unsearchable riches of Christ. Jesus is God's word. Jesus is the eulogy. This is interesting, the word, the word, we get a word, what do we do at a eulogy? The person's dead, the person's dead, can't hear us, and we tell good things about the dead person that we didn't tell them when they were living, in some cases. 
eulogos, good words about the dead person. But what God does is the opposite. He comes into the funeral of our life and he speaks words that bring us up from the dead. His words, eulogetos, he speaks these words. Jesus was the magnet of God. It's so interesting the kind of people that wanted to hear Jesus gladly. They were the tax collectors. They were the sinners. They were the prostitutes. They wanted to hear him gladly because there was something about the way he eulogized in his sermons that caused them to hear the hayah. I mean, in one of these moments, he has just been critiqued by the scribes who are the, the Bible experts. They spent all their time with their nose in the book, all the time, never left. All they did was write scripture. And they saw him eating with them, and they said that he couldn't be a real prophet of God. And so Jesus sends a eulogy in parables of story because they can't get it biblically because they, they know all the Bible, so Jesus is wrong. So he's got to come from another route. So he triggers them through everyday life story, one about a sheep being lost, one about a coin being lost, and then one that really hits home about a son being lost. And if you're a parent... And that happens in your life, you're all ears. And we know the story. This son goes off and he wastes his father's inheritance. And he gives us this moment where Jesus says, and he longed, he longed, and he longed, <laughs> and he longed to have his fill of the pods that the pigs were eating. Doesn't this seem like the person laying in the blood? He longed and no one was giving him anything. Jesus is bringing this, the people listening, he's bringing them to life. See the tax collectors and the sinners wanted to be around him because even though they weren't like him and even though they were these kind of people, the way he spoke to them, it seemed like they were coming back from the dead. They were coming back from the dead. And we know that the prodigal comes to his senses, which is what repentance means. But it's interesting that the repentance in the son was triggered by remembering the goodness of his father, Amen. not the badness of him. Right. Did And he comes up with what he's going to say to his father. Listen to his thoughts. This is what hell does to us. This is what being outside of the father's riches makes us think. How we're warped about him and ourselves. And he's coming with all sincerity and he's going to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. True. I'm no longer worthy to be called, words, your son. Make me like a slave. That's what he's going to say. That's where his mind is. 
And when his father sees him a long way off, what's he do? About time, right? You better say it the right way. You better really repent. Wonder if he's sincere. Nope. He, this is the God of Jesus. He runs toward him. You like that? He runs toward him and he gets there and he embraces him. No confession yet. No sinner's prayer. No music in the background. No nothing. And the sun starts. He starts saying his thing. I've sinned. I'm no longer worthy. Listen to this. The father doesn't just embrace him. The father says, he says, Eulogetos. Good words to life. Haya. This is the father's haya. Quick. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Cover his nakedness with what I provide. Put a ring on his hand, which establishes to the servants around, this is my son. This is my son. This is my son. Put shoes on his feet, because only slaves walk barefoot. Put shoes on his feet. Establish dignity in this boy's life again. Kill the fatted calf, feast, and turn up the music. Yep. Now in contrast, the other brother, and Jesus knows the other brothers are out there listening to this. The other brothers created this story because the other brothers were, were, were the ones who didn't think this should be happening to these sinners. Right? The other brothers. Jesus is so cool. So he, Jesus says, now the older brother, he comes, he's out in the fields, and he comes close to home, and he hears the sound of dancing. And he goes to another slave and asks the slave to interpret God. Just so happens this one gets it right and he says, your brother has come back and he's alive and your father has, and he tells them all that stuff. So he doesn't come in. He doesn't come in. The son, the, this son doesn't come in. He's going to make a statement. He's going to take a stand for righteousness. And so the father, ready? This is as powerful as the run to the son that was wayward. The father goes out to him and says, son. And here's what the son says. When you can't see the riches, you can't see them on anyone else. 
And when you can't see the riches, you're usually seeing through the eyes of the law, yourself and others. Do you know most people today do not express what they really believe, they just really think they are while they're revealing what they are? It's called projection. So this son of yours came, he doesn't even, he's not even a brother. He's not even a brother. It's his brother and it's not even his brother anymore. And he puts it on God. He puts it on the dad. You, this son of yours has devoured your wealth with prostitutes. And you, you, you can't do this. This is he's, his integrity. You slaughter the fattened calf for him? Why are we doing rags to riches? Because God wants to reframe our eyes. God wants to reframe our eyes, not only toward him and toward ourselves, but toward everyone else in Christ. I honestly believe that the story that Jesus pulls this, this out to tell this prodigal story I, 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 would, I would venture to say that he's pulling from the resources of a story in the Old Testament 400 to 500 years prior uh, when another young prophet by the name of Zechariah sees this series of dreams and in this one, Israel has come back from bondage because they had sinned, God judged them. 70 years worth of distance from God and God promises forgiveness. They come back to build the temple. And there's this dream that Zechariah sees where this priest is going to be the one that will start the whole move of God. The whole revival will come through this priest by the name of Joshua, which in the Hebrew is Yehoshua, which in the Greek would be Jesus. And this priest is standing before God at the go time. And he's described in wearing filthy garments. See what I'm saying? There's this connection there. He's in filthy garments. Look, look what it says. And, he, and, and he's unworthy to serve and lead. And we find this story. Do you mind if I go slow with this? And Zechariah says, then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. Now the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, in this case, is the pre-incarnate, you can, I don't have time to go into all the layers, the pre-incarnate son of God. So get this imagery. Joshua is a symbol representing the high priest Jesus who will come in the new covenant. And the high priest Jesus who is, who is still in pre-incarnate form is standing before Joshua. And Satan is standing there too. And Satan does what the older brother does. Accuses him. And it says, Joshua was clothed in filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Picture it. Satan is accusing him before the Lord. And he is in filthy garments. The whole nation is filthy. 
The whole nation is filthy, and they do not deserve to have another shot at reestablishing the expression of God in their generation. They do not have the right to do it except for one thing. God said they could. And God's response is interesting. Actually, it's the Lord Jesus' response pre-incarnate. And the Lord says to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem, not just Joshua, the whole lot, rebuke you. It reminds me of Jesus standing in the city of Jerusalem and here they come, the older brothers, with a woman who's been caught in the act of adultery. I wonder how long the Bible guys were watching. And how did they know where to find her? And why didn't they bring the guy? Was he a priest? I don't know. Why didn't they bring the guy? You know what happens? The Lord gets rid of all the older brothers, right? They all skedaddle when he starts writing in the ground. I don't know if he was writing their girlfriend's names. I don't know what he was doing. But they skedaddled. And then he says to her, where are your accusers? Has anyone condemned you? She says, no, man. She, and he goes, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Reminds me of Romans 8 where it says, who can separate us from the love of God? Christ Jesus is at, is at God's right hand interceding for us, even right now. Even right now. Let's go back to the Zechariah story. I hope I haven't lost you. And he responded and said to those who were standing before him, now think about C and B right now. Think about C and B. Remove the filthy garments from, does that sound like the father in the prodigal story? Remove the filthy garments from him. And again he says, what's the next word? See, this is the watershed moment for people who see themselves worthy to believe God for big things, worthy to step into roles, worthy to receive the gifts of the Spirit, worthy to take a stand and move out in faith. It all comes down to those three letters. See. What do you need to see? I have taken your guilt away from you. And will clothe you with what? What kind of robes? What kind of robes? Festive robes. Party robes. Celebrative robes. Joyous robes. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. But here's the thing. You have to see. You have to see. God is saying, I want you to see. 
Paul is saying, we have all this. I pray God that you will send the Holy Spirit in such a way to every believer that a floodlight will go off in their spirit. So they'll be what they see. Right? I have taken your guilt away from you. Hey, if you don't know it, the, the Jewish people are celebrating right now the, the 10 days of awe that started on my birthday where the trumpet's blown that begins Rosh Hashanah and it will end on the 3rd and the 4th of October, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. You know what they did for thousands of years? You know what they did from the time of Moses? The priests would take two goats. On one of the goats, they would put the hand of the priest and confess all the sins of the priest and the nation on that goat. And they would slaughter that goat and put the blood on the altar. They would take the other goat and the priest would put his hands and then some select priest would take that goat out into the wilderness. This goat was called the Azazel. They would take it out in the wilderness and release it so it could never get back to the camp. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. Right. This is what he's saying here. See, I have taken your sin, put it on the azel. Jesus comes out of the grave and he disappears. He's gone. He took our sin. Our sins aren't here with us. They are gone. And the priest was then to come back and ring the bell. Ring the bell through all of Jerusalem. Ring the bell through all of Judea. Ring the bell through all of Israel. As far as the north, the south, the east. Ring the bell. Christ, before the foundation of the world, this was all foretold, all planned, so that every person could have their sin removed. But you have to need it removed by seeing the need. And I love this part. Now listen, Joshua, you high priest, you and your friends who are sitting in front of you, all the priests were there. Indeed, now look at this. They are men who are a sign. And then he says this, for behold, see something here. I am going to bring in my servant, the branch. Micah calls the Messiah the branch. He's going to branch out. He is saying, your name is actually the name of the Messiah. And all your friends around, I want you to see something. I am going to bring my servant and behold, the stone that I put before you, right? Jesus is the stone, the rock. The, I lay in Zion, a cornerstone. I'm gonna put seven eyes on him, perfect, Perfect vision and another behold. I'm going to engrave an inscription on it, declares the Lord. And I love this. And I will remove, it's the same picture of the Azazel. I will remove the guilt of the whole land in one day. What day was that? On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross and the last thing he said it is finished finished 
I, don't, I just had a birthday. Celebrated my 21st birthday again. <laughs> just this past week. At my favorite place. And uh, then my, my daughter-in-law made this cake. And the cake was incredible, but the icing added... The icing was the icing on the cake. You know what I mean? I want to give you a couple icing on the cake scriptures to take home with you. Here's one from Isaiah 51. Isaiah 47 to 61 is all one sermon, and the chapters make you think this over. It's all one thought. So what he is saying here is he's going to do this work through the branch, through the Messiah, through his servant. And he's going to do, and he's telling us this 500 years before Jesus is born into Isaiah. But, but when he's been slain from, you with me? I hope I'm not boring you. Am I boring you? Okay, am I doing biology or, you with me? Okay, I, I just want to make sure. I like this. Um, if you're the lamb slain before the world begins... You can talk to people like they already have something before they even know what it is. God knows the end from the beginning and announces things that are going to be before, the, before they ever are. And so he is speaking to Israel as if they've already come to Messiah. And, and, but this is 500 years before Jesus even is born. But here's what he says to them and he says to you. Because he already died on the cross and he says this to you but you have to see this. Here it is. This is what your Lord, the Lord, your God, who contends, what's the next word? For his people. Which side is God on? He is for his people. Here's what he says, the next word. Behold. Behold what? Really see this. Now who's talking? Tell me who's talking. Talk to me. Who's talking? Huh? Huh? Who's talking? The Lord, right? Come on, come on, come on. Behold, I. Someone should receive this, and if this hits you, and you, and you see this, and you have a haya, I give you permission to do a cartwheel down the aisle. I do. I do. Like the Blues Brothers movie. You ever remember? All the way down? Only if you have a haya. Are you ready? I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering. Your Christian life no longer has to be like this. Oh, God. The chalice of my anger. Are you ready for this? Can you see this? You, how many yous are in here? You will never drink it. Is that too good to be true? Do you have a what about and a yeah about and what about? The devil does. He's got a million of them. Here's what the Lord says. The Lord says he took out of your hand the cup of staggering. If you don't receive it, you can't see it, you're spiritually paralyzed. And he was in a house, and the power of the Lord was present to make the sick people well. 
and they are trying to bring someone to him who is paralyzed from birth. He's carried on a mat by four of his friends and they see the crowd and they can't get him to Jesus. And so they climb up on top of the roof and they, and they make a hole through the top and they lower him down in front at Jesus' feet. And you know what Jesus says to him? Son, be of good cheer. Why? Your sins are forgiven you. And they say, only God can forgive sin. The Bible guys. Only God can forgive. And he hears their thoughts in his own mind and he says, why are you thinking in your heart? Let me ask you what's easier. I love this passage. Imagine it happening. When he said, which is easier, the band started to hit those notes. <laughs> to say his sins are forgiven or say rise up and walk. He does. And I'll tell you what. There are some of us who are not paralyzed physically, but we're paralyzed spiritually because we can't see. But we see and we hear, but it's what we see and what we hear that continues the paralysis. And Paul says to those who have the Holy Spirit in them, I pray that your eyes will be able to see so that you can experientially know the hope of your calling, the riches of the glory of the inheritance that are yours, and the power toward you who believe. Two more scriptures. I'm not going to break them down. I'm just going to read them to you. Awake. Awake. This is God talking. This is God talking. Clothe yourself in your strength, Zion. Clothe yourself in what? Your beautiful garments. Put them on. For the uncircumcised and the unclean will never come into you again. And then he says this. I love it. Be cheerful. Shout joyfully together. You ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has, past tense, and Jesus hasn't even come yet. He's speaking out through the ages. The Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. He's going to bear his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, so all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. Last verse. Here's why I'm, preach here's why I'm preaching this. Here's why I said all that. Here's why I said all that. And here's why Paul prayed. Here's why Paul continued to pray, because this is who we are to be. Ephesians 1, everybody stand. Here's who we are to be. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and made him head over all things to the church, which is his body, the church body, is the fullness of Jesus who fills all in all. The reason why Paul prayed that we'd see the riches 
is because we will only be the body of Jesus in fullness when we see in a way that moves our faith to walk in what we know. Not out of just, I gotta, I need to, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, but a overwhelming revelation that puts life in your feet and you spring up as naturally into your calling as the paralyzed man did when Jesus said, take up your mat and walk. Heavenly Father, I pray you'd touch the eyes a second time. There are many of your people who have been blind and they asked you to touch them. They might see and they open their eyes and they still don't see clearly. Like the man and Jesus said, what do you see? And he said, I see men as trees. And so Jesus even prayed a second time. I really believe today is a second time prayer for you. Wherever you are. I have felt this on me for a month now. And I've, I've talked about it a couple times at the end of sermons. Two times that there are people carrying a definition that God has already released you from. You, you carry a definition that you have soiled your, you have, you have uh, re, you've put filth on your holy garments and you're overwhelmed in sorrow over seasons and moments of time where you have found yourself beset going back to things and, and you're tormented by it. You're harder on yourself than God has ever been on you and you are paralyzed in your faith. And the enemy just wants to continually remind you of that and you see yourself in a certain way so you can't be the person God wants you to be. And today, the Lord wants to touch your eyes a second time. Lord, right now, for, for anybody like that, I pray that they would see you running their way that they would stop that you would stop the entire service you'd stop the world you are waiting on them you're not you're not upbraiding them i pray that you'd open their eyes to see that their sin has been taken away it's not even in your town friend that those things aren't even in your orbit. They're not even in your universe. They've gone through a black hole and they're not coming back out into this side. They're gone. They're gone. It's an illusion. It's a gaslight from the enemy. It's not even real. Jesus has extinguished. It's gone. It's already gone. You are free. You are forgiven. You're released. You are completely emancipated. And he wants you to know a joy. May joy be birthed in you. Hayah to you from God.
And he also wants to touch people to believe what they believe, to believe for healing, to believe for miracles, to believe the word works, to believe that God is in you like he's in others, to believe that the grace on your life is not only for you to receive, but for you to give. God wants to use you. God wants to use you out and about. God wants you to know that you can hear his voice. You can trust the voice. You can take steps of faith and you can see signs and wonders and miracles take place because Jesus Christ is alive and the Holy Spirit is alive. And we just pray right now, Lord, for everybody here that a brand new, fresh anointing of the power of God coming toward your people, coming toward your people, would happen today. And Lord, we all, we all, we all ask you to help us to get a million miles away from that older brother syndrome. Please, in this hour in which we live, when many people, when many people have stumbled and fallen, when many people are being humbled by, by things, Lord, help us, please, to get as far away from the older brother syndrome, the older brother cancer, so that we can be like you, Lord, so that we can be like the angels in joyful assembly. Man, there is, I, I feel like we need to repent of that today. I'm going to have an altar call right now for anybody that just says, man, I don't want to be a million miles near any kind of older brother syndrome. Man, I, I, I want to, I want to take the, there was a, the, the Jerusalem walls, they had a, they had a sheep gate, they had, they had the water gate, they had uh, all, the fish gate, they had all these gates, they had this gate called the, the dung gate the garbage gate. It, what you do, that's where they took the garbage out of the city, dumped it over the hill into a valley called Ben-Hinnom. It's where Jesus uses the metaphor of Gehenna, hell, that they burned that stuff constantly with fire. Now, I'm not talking about hell now. I'm talking about taking this junk out of, the, out of your city, out of that gate, dump it, burn it, get it out of there. We don't want it in the city of God. There's an altar call today from the Lord for those that need to really get sensitive about that syndrome. It spreads like a gangrene and defiles many. I break it in the name of Jesus. I said I break it in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray you'd pour the oil and the wine into people that have been abused by it. And those who have abused in it. And the Lord wants to take you to a place of riches. But today is a day to take that stuff and dump it right outside that gate in Jesus' name. Hey, this is Pastor Dustin. And thanks for listening. If you live in the Western Maryland area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services or weekday gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environment, please visit myloh.church.